This episode of Market Foolery is supported by Wonder Capital, an investing service that allows individuals to invest in solar projects across the U.S. Earn up to 11% annually while diversifying your portfolio, curbing pollution, and combating global climate change. Create an account for free at wondercapital.com/fool. Wonder Capital, do well and do good. Monday, July 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Our man Taylor Muckerman, still out there on his honeymoon. Still living large. We're going to have to get the, the the wedding day story when he gets back. Well, Find hey, so out how everything went. I, so that's interesting I'm assuming, you say that. I'm assuming it went smoothly. <laughs> well, so I, I can say at least from a quasi first hand account, or well, I guess a second hand account, really. We were so we were down at the river over the weekend, Fourth of July weekend, and my wife, who's on Instagram, saw a video that was taken of, I guess, the final moment when Taylor and his now wife said, "I do," and, nice. and so right when it concluded, so it's like a video, they everything concluded, and then they went right off to the first dance, and so I can say. That they definitely did actually go through with it they because were. the video said so. <laughs> um, I, I can't say much more than that. I'm not on Instagram, so I haven't really pursued any any further. I would hope for his sake that they probably aren't, you know, documenting a whole heck of a lot. Yeah, you want to you want to do some of the stuff is, is meant for kick back and enjoy your honeymoon, enjoy the memories because yes. those are always precious. All right, let's get to the news of the day. There's plenty of news. Uh, Earnings season officially kicks off this week. We'll get uh, your preview on that. Uh, Let's start with, holy cow, the deal of the day from the world of sports. (laughs) UFC, which is the mixed martial arts empire, for lack of a better word, has been sold for $4 billion. And uh, the two people who have to be the most excited about this are Lorenzo and Frank Fertitta, who own 80% of USC, they sold it to a combination of entities, including the William Morris Endeavor, uh, IMG, which is the, the huge global sports and entertainment uh, group, uh, Michael Dell's private equity group uh, bought a piece of this, uh, KKR was involved. The number is hard for me to stop gawking at. I mean, and, yeah. and uh, Dan Boyd, our man behind the glass, uh, more knowledgeable about UFC than I am. He looks uh, like he'd be more knowledgeable about it. Yeah, you know? yeah. He looks like he could probably Dan's handy. take us both out at the same time, yeah, too. Dan's, so. Dan's handy when, uh, when, <laughs> when things get a little dicey out there. Um, uh, he was surprised as well. You, uh, we were talking earlier today that $4 billion, I mean, I think we all knew that MMA was kind of a big deal. I didn't think of it in terms of $4 billion. It is a lot of money. I mean, this goes back to that old adage, content is king, right? I mean, whether it's make-believe or whether it's actual sports and reality, I mean, content is, is, is just a great advantage to, to have something that People want and and I mean it's it's obviously a successful business in that they brought in around six hundred million dollars in revenue last year um, and, and I think to me I mean I had to double check this math here to make sure and I, I still feel like I got it wrong but they bought it these guys bought it for two million in two thousand it was two it was million more with, or less at with, its nadir and, with, with an M right million exactly <laughs> two million. And sold it for four billion. I mean, by my calculations, that's a two hundred thousand percent return uh, in, in the span of about 
15 years, which I, that's got to be a record somehow or another. But, but yeah, they've got to be feeling pretty good about that. And, and the interesting thing was, I don't think it was ever really up for sale. They had always just noted, hey, we're not up for sale, but if someone throws a number out there, hey, we'll entertain it. And I think that's the way you have to look at pretty much uh, the stock market as well. I think I, I typically am not looking to unload my positions, but if if the market's willing to offer me an, an irrational or unreasonably high price for something that I own, sure, I'll entertain I'll entertain selling it because I mean at some point you have to be able to sell it and sort of realize the gains and do something else with it or at least enjoy uh, the fruits of your labor. And it sounds like these guys are going to be able to enjoy many fruits for many years to come. <laughs> yeah, I always I always think of uh, Bill Mann's line. Uh, years ago at, at one of our events, and he was, you know, gave the caveat: we are long-term investors. Um, that is our mindset. We are value. Speaking of him, referring to himself, and the the mutual fund group is saying, you know, we're value-oriented investors. But every stock I have is for sale every day at the right price. Like if you're willing to pay the right price, I don't care how much I love something, I will sell it. And I I'm really glad you said that because I could not agree with that more. I think um there are plenty of people out there that would probably disagree with that and just uh be be intent on on owning for forever and and not really looking at things that way. I I tend to look at things that way. I think we do a wonderful job of sort of espousing the values in buy-to-hold investing. Buy-to-hold investing really does work. It's a great way to assess a business and and to buy, really, I think, the best businesses for for your portfolio. But I think that for investors out there, it it is very important to learn why and when and how to consider selling. Because, like Bill, hey, I've got a portfolio of businesses that I love, but hey, every day, I'll entertain a sale if if the price is right, because there's nothing that says you can't get back in there at some point either. Okay, I'm not looking to time the market. That's that's not what I'm saying here. What I am saying is that if you invest at some point in your life, you're going to need to sell to recognize those gains and to be able to enjoy those gains, unless you are investing for another reason entirely, and and that may be for some people. I think most of us are investing to ensure our financial freedom. And so, at some point, you need to be able to actually uh, enjoy those gains. And so, um, always just take a look at your portfolio and understand kind of where that line is for you on those different holdings. It can be a very, uh, a very educational and valuable part of the philosophy to to uh, to practice. Just to close on UFC, this is yet another reminder of just how much money. Is in the world of sports and how that continues to rise year over year, and it doesn't look like it's stopping anytime soon. No. Shares of Twitter falling a little bit today after getting an analyst downgrade from SunTrust, which said user growth and engagement continue to be challenged, and that's their word, challenged, in quotes. Uh, but you know what might help Twitter is some original live programming, and that's been locked up uh, with the announcement that Twitter will be live streaming the upcoming political conventions here in the States, the Republican convention next week, and then the week after that, the Democratic convention. And they, we continue to see more of this from Twitter, uh, what we saw with, uh, I think, the NFL last mm-hmm. year, and, yep. then, and now with political events, but we're going to see more sports coming down the pike. And this seems good in terms of the eye towards engagement, 
But I think at the end of the day, Wall Street's going to want to see some dollars attached to this as well. Yeah, I mean, I think with any investment, the the, the dollars are what ultimately matter. And I think Twitter's in this unique position where I, <laughs> I think that actually the user numbers matter more right now to Wall Street than perhaps the dollar numbers. And that is that's part of their own doing. I think they kind of put themselves in that situation when they went public and, and presented uh, sort of the ways that we should think about the business and how we can measure their success. And I think that as time goes on, it's becoming more and more apparent that looking at just monthly active users isn't necessarily the the one indicator or even the best indicator of their success because I mean, to be clear, they they continue to grow their top line at very impressive rates. I mean, this is not a business that is not making any money per se. I mean, as soon as they are able to uh, flip that switch and 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 leverage that cost structure, I mean, this this will be a profitable business. And I suspect by the end of of 2017, certainly you won't have to worry so much about those adjusted numbers anymore. This is just going to be a business that's making some money. And and so I think this really all goes back to the shareholder letter that uh, that they put out. I believe it was the fourth quarter of last year. It was when Jack Dorsey first took back over officially as the company CEO, and and they talked in that letter a lot about what their primary focus was and is. They're focused on doing what they believe Twitter does best, which is live. Whether it's live commentary, connections, conversations, breaking news, entertainment, sports, every day, the beauty of that news and sports cycle, it's new every day. You hit this refresh button, and it's even within every day. I mean, you're always coming up with something new there, and so Twitter has an advantage in being able to sort of take advantage of that network effect and always be fresh uh, with with new and compelling content, depending on what your interest may be. And so we saw the deal that was announced with the NFL. Uh, on on paper, sounds like a really intriguing deal. Not really sure how they'll actually be able to present that in such a way that uh, users would really enjoy uh, watching it. I think the goal is to always for them. It's it's always been to be able to become more than just the second screen. They want to become really the first screen as well. And I think if if you were watching Wimbledon at all this past couple of weeks, what they did uh, was very low-key and certainly not pushed very hard. But it was sort of that first iteration of what they're going to be doing with that NFL deal. So, you could watch um, live commentary and stuff on Wimbledon on Twitter, along with the, the, the feed below and a way to compose. So, you were able to see all of that in one screen. Albeit a small screen on your phone, but I also think that's something that is becoming more and more the norm uh, with with most people out there anyway. Uh, and and so again, the the Democratic Republican debate uh, uh, conventions. This is another step in that direction. We'll see more and more things coming with like the NBA, soccer, baseball. Um, these are all deals that really will be guiding the decision making, focusing on what they do best, which is live. And I think that when they start showing really how well they are able to do this. And and how that content extends beyond just that core user platform. I think slowly but surely, I think people will start to realize more and more that it, it, this is not a business that has to have a user uh, user base as big as Facebook's in order to be successful. If you have a user base of three to four hundred million people that are engaged constantly every day, there's a lot of value there. And, and and so this doesn't have to be a one billion user platform to be successful. Speaking of Facebook, we have done uh, Periscope videos of this podcast before. Uh, on Wednesday, 
of this week, Wednesday the 13th, we're going to be doing our first Facebook Live uh, video of Market Foolery. So, more, yes, sir. more details to come from that, uh, both on Twitter and in our, our Facebook uh, Motley Fool Podcast group. Prime Day is tomorrow. Amazon Prime Day, Tuesday, July 12th. It's interesting because I was thinking about this, um, about how just over a year ago, when Amazon announced, "Hey, we're having Prime Day. It's our birthday," and 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 look, I'm a shareholder. I I use Amazon all the time. I enjoy it a great deal. And I looked at it <laughs> uh, over a year ago, and I thought, "Oh, come on! This mm-hmm. is just you're you're just doing this to sell more." So, like I get it. I get why you're doing it. But come on! And now I just now I'm. Totally converted, and I just think, oh, this is great. This is you know more more people getting into Prime. Do, do you think? Do you think expectations get raised as a result of this? Because mm. you think back to a year ago, and part of the narrative in say the first twenty four to forty eight hours after this happened, while it was going on, and then after it happened, was. People posting stuff about how I wanted to buy. I signed up for Prime to get this deal, and they didn't have it. And so, and you saw some of the more outrageous things that were being sold in terms of, oh, you can get seventy-five percent off of you know a twenty-gallon drum of olive oil, or you know whatever it was. You know, just sort of these these. Random, well, I mean, I do like olive oil. Yeah, um, these random things. And so the 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 narrative immediately after that. Was pretty negative, and I think once the numbers started to come out further down the line, to the extent that Amazon discloses that, and and analysts started to, you know, connect the dots a little bit, then they realized, oh wait a minute, they just got, you know, at least a couple of million people. Yeah. Um, and and I th- I think that um, now it's being viewed as a, a real opportunity. I think the narrative on something like this is always going to default to skeptical or negative because that's probably the easier of the two it's you look at amazon i mean i, I so like I, it's, this is like beer man i mean isn't everyday beer day i mean just like <laughs> isn't everyday prime day really i mean if you use amazon at all um and and i think probably most of you out there do to a, to a degree then then you certainly recognize the value in something like Prime. I mean, $99 a year for everything that you get is pretty compelling. It's it's compelling just for the shipping option alone, but then when you throw all of this other stuff in there, you start to realize, I, I can really integrate Amazon into my family's quote-unquote business model. And I mean, that's kind of the way we teach our girls about sort of our household at home, is we look at it as sort of a business, and we all have kind of a stake in it. And, and there are things that have to happen every day in our house to keep this business running. And more and more, Amazon is becoming a very, very important part of how that happens, whether it's dog food showing up at the front door, or toilet paper, or uh, movies, or books. Wow, books. I mean, that's the one thing for Prime Day, actually, that that we will be keeping an eye on, because I have two girls now at at 11, and and Ainsley will be 10 in, in the next few weeks. They're becoming voracious readers, and that's great. Uh, it can also cost you because they're they're looking for books that aren't necessarily available other ways. So Prime Day, I think, is going to be a great uh, opportunity to to perhaps look at uh, any books that may be on sale for their Kindles. But but again, I mean, this is a no brainer for Amazon to the nth degree. It costs them virtually nothing to do this, and and all they're doing is creating awareness for something that they're already doing every day to begin with. And and, and if they can every year 
just turn that screw a little bit to juice a little bit of extra revenue on this one day per year and create all of this awareness. I mean, now you've got Prime Day and you've got all of these competitors. I think Walmart is really kind of trying to uh, do something to offer sort of their own take on this, and I just that's that's hopeless. They're just this is. This is it's like the Flintstones versus the Jetsons, man. I mean, it's just they're too, they couldn't be further apart. And I think that you probably want to side with the Jetsons here in Amazon. So, uh, very very easy call for them to make. And again, I think we should probably see this every year from here on out. I'm going to push back slightly on the um, the idea that this doesn't cost them anything to do it because, in in a sense, that's true. Um, but one of the things that we do know is how important Prime Day is to the business of Amazon. Um, and I'll just um, read Tim Hansen's uh, Twitter feed, something he posted earlier this morning. The entire Amazon organization was slash is in a code freeze for the week leading up to Prime Day. So for and and what that simply means is the, you know the the people who are doing software development, all that. So it is partly true that it, it costs them nothing. But from a structural standpoint, within the walls of Amazon, it is clearly an all-hands-on-deck situation that they are taking very seriously. And you know that whatever, however many members they got last year, they are looking, they have set the bar for more this year because they have the experience of having done it the first time around. And now they're looking like, okay, how can we improve on last year? No question. There's an opportunity cost. That 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 comes with any 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 choice that a business makes, and I think uh, the one thing I would say with Amazon, really, and I've said it before, Prime members are the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for this business. I mean, that's what that's what dictates the decision making for Amazon, at least in the short run. In in to, to that point, in regard to a coding freeze and how valuable Amazon Web Services is, and there's no question it is extremely valuable as well. I, I have no doubt that they will be able to make up for any time lost. And I think that when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, uh, the, the 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 benefits certainly outweigh the costs, uh, no matter what they what they are. I think. All right. Before we get to the earnings preview, I want to thank Wonder Capital for sponsoring this episode of Market Foolery. Wonder Capital is a TechStars-backed company. Uh, with headquarters in Boulder, Colorado, and Wonder Capital allows you to invest in solar projects across the country via their crowd investing platform. Your investment goes directly to helping U.S. businesses install solar PV panels, and as they repay their loans to Wonder, you receive monthly cash flows in the form of interest payments. And you can learn more about how you can earn up to 11% returns. Just go to wondercapital.com/fool. That's wondercapital.com/fool. Wonder Capital. Do well and do good. Earning season kicking off this week. What are you watching? What are you? Is there anything that you're hoping for? Is there anything that you think, holy cow, I got my eye on you, Company X, and you better hit a home run this time out? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess this could be a really long list because we have so many companies in um, million dollar portfolio that uh, are always exciting. Comes earnings, come earnings time. I think that. Um, you know, we we look at earnings season sort of a little bit. It's a little bit of a bittersweet opportunity because we do look well past just the quarterly sort of granular outlook. But it's always fun for me, from an educational standpoint, to see what's going on with these businesses and then to be able to talk about them in here, uh, answer questions that people have. So, for me, and and these aren't businesses that I uh, cover all that closely. 
but with what has happened in the past quarter, they have both certainly piqued my interest. And that's what's going on with Tesla and Solar City right now. And I think a lot of people are going to be very interested with this because I, I, I think Tesla is a. I like Tesla. I like what Elon Musk is doing. Okay. I want to be very clear here that I am, I am 100% pro Elon Musk in what he's trying to do. But, but I also think. But you're scratching your head. Well, I am. I mean, I, I understand the acquisition of Solar City and trying to bring those two businesses together to build out a more complementary business model um, in, in ultimately becoming an energy company that also is able to provide uh, cars and ways to store energy and whatnot. I, I, I can't help but feel like. I mean, I think Elon Musk. In many cases, gets a pass from a lot of people because he has such grand aspirations, and I think that for the most part is okay. I think Jeff Bezos got that pass for a lot of years uh, based on what he was doing with Amazon. I think Amazon's a far more understandable business than either Tesla or Solar City. Um, I think Tesla is a far more understandable business than Solar City, and I think that with this acquisition, and I think it's going to go through based on the overlap in, in big time shareholders of both companies. Um, I think that this only makes Tesla a more difficult business to understand. It does not make it any easier. And I think that just makes this more of a jockey play than any other investment I can ever think of. And so that's fine, but I think you also need to make sure you position size something like that accordingly. So for investors, if you're looking at this as ultimately the energy company of the 21st century, you need to be looking at this with a 20-year outlook, and that's that's fine. But if you're 60, maybe you don't want to be looking at it from a 20-year outlook. I mean, you probably um, you you might want to be investing in something that has a little bit of a of a nearer-term catalyst, so to speak. So I'm I'm going to be very very interested to see how analysts are responding to the Tesla and/or Solar City calls. I think Solar City comes first um, for earnings season. Just a lot of unanswered questions here. I think there are a lot of investors in Solar City that have um, been hammered here, and and I don't I, I don't take that lightly. And I think that if you are an investor in Solar City, and you're looking at taking a sizable loss here on your investment in Solar City, and that ultimately that is all going to be rolled back over into Tesla, then I think you need to be aware of the fact that well, Tesla isn't necessarily a no-brainer either. I mean, Elon Musk notwithstanding. Building out a business like this is going to require a boatload of capital. There's no question there. And we are in an environment where the cost of business is going to be going up, not down, over the long haul. And so they are going to be at the mercy, I think, of the markets in some capacity here. It's reasonable to expect that over the course of the next five to 10 years. So while they could build out a very successful business, that might not necessarily translate to awesome returns for a shareholder. So I just uh, very, very interested to see how they frame all of this and um, and very interested to see how the market reacts to both to both holdings. Chipotle reports on Thursday the 21st after the market closes, I'll be on vacation, but uh, one of the first things I'll be reading when I get back is not just that report, but any transcript I can find of the conference call, because I yeah. think that could be, once again, <sighs> interesting. I feel like we gave him kind of a hard time on Motley Fool Money um, this weekend, but but I don't regret that, honestly. I feel like... I don't think we gave them an unfairly hard no, time. No, I don't think it was unfair I don't, at all. I don't, yeah. In my mind, it was very fair, because again, I, I, I saw <laughs> this morning on Twitter, 
Chipotle's promoted tweet of that stupid love story cartoon, and I stand by it. I think it's dumb. I think it was a bad idea, and I think there's nothing but downside when you do something like that, especially in the position where they are today. I don't think that is the type of brand building they need to be focused on right now. But the the Chiptopia program is is going to be... I, I, I will I will look forward to the questions on Chiptopia because I'm sure there will be analysts asking how they should expect this will uh, affect Chipotle's numbers in the coming months. And not to repeat ourselves for anyone who listened to Motley Fool Money over the weekend, but I, I don't understand the decision to put the time and effort into that type of program when you're ostensibly going to end it after three months. And maybe, um, yeah. I forget who made the point. Was it Simon who made the point that maybe they're just testing it with the intention of, if it goes sure. well, we're going to, you know, and then in three months, at the end of September, they get to say, gosh, this was such a success and so popular, we're going to continue this for the next 50 years. Yeah. But right out of the gate, it, it, I think it, among other things, sends the wrong signal. It does. I mean, for investors, it certainly does. I mean, as an analyst, I look at that and I think it's a blatant attempt to just try to inflate some short-term numbers. It looks like a band-aid. It does, and I mean, that's maybe it's not. Maybe I'm misreading that, but that's how I perceive it. And so, uh, I mean, how hard? I mean, how big of a leap is it to assume that if Chipotle introduced a loyalty program that? People wouldn't like it. I mean, it's not that hard to do. I mean, you look at what Starbucks has done. Take a couple of notes and just introduce your own loyalty right. program to where it just says, "Hey, the more you come here, the more we'll reward you." It's that's that's not rocket science. Doesn't Starbucks it, white label their <laughs> app? Seriously, don't they? They do. I, I think I, they, they white label their their loyalty program. So it's like just. Have a conversation, you know. Yeah, I, I, do, I think Chipotle is done. Pick up the phone, call Howard Schultz. Yeah, let's not forget the 23 years or so of success that led up to this sort of, of uh, dark time for them. I, I think there are plenty of people out there that still love the food, that want to go there. You introduce a simple loyalty program, and, and then you iterate that program as time goes on. You start simple, and you can you can grow it as you go on. But I, I don't think that's a leap at all to say they could introduce a long-term loyalty program, and most people would like it. They've already got the app to support it, so. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.